Welcome to 15 Minute Fundamentals, where we break down crypto projects and learn about the drivers behind the data you see on our charts. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Blish from Lido Finance, a liquid staking solution for ETH and other assets. Hey, Jacob. Welcome to 15 Minute Fundamentals. It's great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It'd be great if you can kick us off with just a quick intro to Lido for those not yet familiar. Yeah, so Lido is a liquid staking protocol, and it's the current market leader in the space for those that aren't aware liquid staking um, for proof of stake systems when you lock up your collateral in order to secure the network. You're providing a service, but you lose access to the liquidity in order to get modest yield. And we see that as a paradox of choice because you have to choose between securing the POS network or being a DGEN and DeFi farmer. And so what a liquid staking protocol such as Lido does is it allows you to stake into the proof of stake chain and we issue you a receipt, if you will, a certificate of deposit is how we sometimes think about it, that represents the underlying collateral that can be used in other DeFi strategies for additional yield earning opportunities. So it lets you have your cake and eat it too. Diving right into fundamentals then, I'd love to start with revenue. Could you walk me through Lido's business model so we get a picture of how cash flows both through and to the protocol? Yeah, so the way Lido earns revenue is since we're providing a service uh, with liquid staking, we charge, the protocol has a fee of 10% of the yield. So we don't touch your principal, we only touch the, the earned yield on top of it. And so if Ethereum's a 4% APR over a year, we take 0.4% of that, pass the rest on to the end user. That fee is split 50-50 between our infrastructure uh, providers, our node operator partners, and the treasury. So we basically carve 5% that ultimately of the yield that lands ultimately in the, the Lido treasury for general use, operating expenses, payroll, all that good stuff. Got it. So you take a 10% cut of the total yield generated, of which half goes to the protocol's treasury, which we can see on our revenue share chart as the dark blue bar representing protocol revenue, and the other half of your cut goes to your node operator partners as supply side revenue, um, as is the case with the bulk of yield generated on the platform. So 90%, which goes directly to stakers. And um, we're currently working on listing your data from all chains. But as of right now, the data that we see on the dashboard is purely on Ethereum. Um, how much of your revenue usage is currently coming from outside of the ETH ecosystem? Well, now it's maybe 5%. Um, most of our other networks are very nascent and new. Um, before the Terra incident about a month ago, it was <laughs> closer to about 50 or 60%. Um, but since Terra's gone, ETH is now our, our golden goose. What are the networks that you currently support? We're currently live in production on Ethereum, Solana, Polygon, and Kusama and Polkadot, which Kusama is the canary um, testnet for the Polkadot ecosystem. And we're, we're currently in the build-out mode for Cosmos, Avalanche, and Near. And those should be coming later this year. Got it. And back to the revenue chart, I want to speak a bit about growth drivers, because if we look at your chart and open up the yearly view, you've shown really strong, consistent growth, even despite the fact that we've been in a pretty solid uh, downtrend over the last few months. Um, what have the drivers been behind both this growth and your ability to maintain your revenues at their current level, despite the market crashing around you? And then if there's any challenges currently related to your growth, I'd love to hear about those too. Yeah, so the, the main drivers is since STETH is, is an interest-bearing asset, we view it 
as a fundamentally better version of Ethereum. You're helping keep the protocol decentralized. You're earning yield for providing that service. And it's flexible enough and deeply integrated that you can go and do all the normal DeFi strategies you would. So our our main value proposition is why would you use ETH other than gas costs and not use a representative asset that just has all the benefits um, with minimal risk? And it's the typical smart contract risk, all that good stuff. The, the biggest barriers we're seeing to growth currently, um, which we hadn't maybe two months ago, is now due to our success of our value proposition and our growth strategies. We're now sufficiently big that we are opening up conversations around is Lido too big and are we a centralization risk for the, the network? Um, that's a very complex and loaded topic, but that along with just current market dynamics have really slowed and challenged our growth um, pace. The other thing is we've captured, this is a hypothesis, but we feel we've captured the vast majority of the Web3 retail, like Web3 native retail market meaning the the DGENs. And so now we're starting to explore other customer types, whether that's Web2 crypto curious, like the Robinhoods, PayPals, Venmos, where you can dip your toe in, um, or things like institutional high net worth individuals, because whether people like it or not, institutional capital is coming into the space in one way or another. So that's kind of where we see growth opportunities in some of the the challenges we're currently facing. Uh, I'd love to dive into that complex topic that you mentioned about Lido possibly becoming a centralizing force in terms of the percentage of validators uh, in your network. Now, what are your thoughts on this and are you taking any action to prevent it? So I'm, I'm obviously biased because I work with Lido. Our, our thought is, forgetting Lido for a second, our hypothesis is that liquid staking will have a winner-takes-most market. We saw it with stablecoins, USDC, USDT. We saw it with wrapped BTC. Um, and it's because capital efficiency is a square of its depth. So it means the deeper and more unified liquidity is around a single asset, the more efficient it becomes. And cutting liquidity in half gives you the square root of its capital efficiency. So it's not like a linear correlation. So... Our, our thought is, first, we don't control any of the ETH that is staked. It's distributed across, I think it's 25 validators. It might be 21, but across a number of validators, we try to do what's called stake flattening to make sure no single node operator controls more than 1% of total stake. And we're not there yet, but that's a, a work in progress. And if a user at post-merge, of course, if a user wants to withdraw, they, they control their keys. They can withdraw at any time pending the withdraw queue. So the, the centralization risk more comes from the idea of a governance attack or governance control. So we do have an LDO token. It's our governance token. It has some control mechanisms that are in place. It's gated behind on-chain votes. You have to have a fairly substantial economic incentive to buy control of Lido. And we are aware that that is a potential risk. So we're working on a couple different vectors. One is this idea of called, it's called dual governance. So you'll have the Lido token on one side, and then you'll have a balance or a check with STE holders. And if we need to, we would roll this out for each individual network where STE holders can kind of represent the, the needs of the Ethereum network, while LDO represents the needs or wants of the, the Lido protocol, if you will. So that's one. Um, the, the, most of the calls boil down to, we're big, 
and we should stop being big. Whether that's we start increasingly charging a higher protocol fee, the larger we grow until it's not economical unless you go to another competitor. One is just we stop growing, we turn off the, the valve and say we won't grow until others do. And then some of them are asking if there's ways that we can give away our stake. And there's, there's a lot of fundamental issues here. The first is if there's 10 players, if we say everyone's capped at 10%, if nine out of the 10 say, yes, we agree to cap and we'll follow the rules and one doesn't, that one will win. They will get to 11 or 12%, network effects will kick in and then they'll win. So that's one issue. The other is centralized exchanges. Those are not inherently bad for getting all the, the, the mixed conversations, but they're driven by publicly traded company things, which is shareholders who maximize value and return above all else. So assuming rational actors on a player like Coinbase, Coinbase is going to be incentivized to drive growth and not kneecap growth. So similar to if someone doesn't play by the rules, they win. Coinbase has incentives to not play by that self-limiting rule. The third thing is if we were to agree to this and forgetting the other concerns, the node operators that sit one level below us, ABC node operator, well, if they're part of all 10 of these mini protocols, they can capture more than 10%. If they have one and a half, one and a half, two percent, one percent, et cetera, that will add up to more than 10%. So now all we've done is push the problem down one level. So like whack-a-mole, we didn't remove it. We just literally translated it somewhere else. So that's why I say it's complicated because we will listen to what the community ultimately says. If the Ethereum Foundation or the Ethereum community says cap, we will. We think that's a mistake and we think it's better to help us or if not us, whoever the chosen person, team, group is to become the best possible product on the market. The last point without beating this too much is if you ask Lido to self-restrict as a, my job is BD in partnerships, which is the opposite of that. It's growth. Let's pour gasoline on the fire. You're encouraging me one to not work anymore, which I guess I can go do conferences. But two, the bigger issue is you're disincentivizing Lido to pour its additional resources into building the best product possible. We will do the bare minimum to maintain that, that capped threshold and we won't do any extra work and neither will anyone else. Everyone will get to 10% and then they will do the bare minimum to maintain that, that level. And it opens up the question, do we want everyone to offer the bare minimum viable product that is acceptable or do we want the absolute best and constantly improved product? Arguably, I'd, I'd like that. A great case study on this is electronic health records. They were built to literally the bare standard minimum mandated by the government plus like one little bit more. And categorically, they're hated across the medical industry, but we have to use them because the government said so. Um, again, I, I get a little bit biased, but I highly recommend check out our forum. We have a very deep ongoing conversation about this where we're trying to have a public debate because this is becoming a huge issue. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I know one of the suggestions that you've come across that you mentioned also came directly from the mouth of Vitalik with a speculative, controversial take on, uh, you know, having an increasing fee amount until the kind of network becomes more more decentralized. But you pretty well summarized your thoughts on that already. So and, and the, the, the last thing is, you know, I guess you mentioned Vitalik, it, it opens up a much more existential question of and this is typical of politics and government. 
is the Ethereum foundation overstepping its bounds by setting a precedent of like, it's a free market until a certain point, at which point we step in. Well, if you did that for Lido, what about other networks? What about other protocols? What's the line? Where does it stop? Um, It just, it gets even messier once you include that. And I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. These are just the the things we're struggling with because we don't have an easy answer. That's a great point, and this definitely is a complex, complex subject. So we'll just leave it. We'll leave it at that for now, and and I'll hop over to, back to the dashboard quickly because I wanted to ask that we've had a massive crash in the crypto market. You also mentioned like Terra and that affecting your, like Lido, the protocol, which you can see in the TVL level as a bit of a bigger drop. But on the revenue side, it's you, you pretty much just had a small blip. While at the same time, the market cap isn't going down. And I wanted to ask if you have any thoughts on the somewhat negative correlation between your revenue development and market cap. Is that due to the current ongoing discussion around centralization or is there something else there? So our revenues are pretty much protected until the withdrawals are enabled because our revenue is based off of the ETH that is in fact staked on the beacon chain. So whether it's liquid staking stake or normal native stake, um, it's locked up until the merge completes. So our revenues based off of that can't go down our STE, the representative certificate of deposit can go down, but that will always be backed one-to-one with native ETH and at time of future withdrawal, assuming Ethereum doesn't break, assuming there's no smart contract hack on our end, assuming the merge actually happens and doesn't get pushed off infinitely, which are very large existential problems. But our revenue is tied to until withdrawals happen, you can't really affect it directly. Um, so that in a, in a certain way is kind of nice because we have, you know, uh, predictable revenue, but for, for the larger narrative around our market cap, especially looking through LDO, that's where a lot of this is happening is there's global macro issues with outside of crypto. And, you know, the narrative for us with our assets is if or our ST assets is if you're not interested in buying ETH, you're definitely not interested in buying ST ETH. And in a bull market, it's the same. If you're really interested in hype on ETH, you're even more so on SDETH because it's like a magnification of your your stance pro or con against a certain network. Um, but the LDO token is representative of greater macro, the ongoing debate with um, with us in terms of our, our success and how large we are, and just general uncertainty now that SDETH is its exchange rate is going off a little bit. That's creating some of the downward pressure on our governance valuation. Now, what are your thoughts on the current price difference between ETH and uh, STETH? Um, I'm joking internally. I think it's a great. I, I think it's a great buy. It, it boils down to if you're long ETH and you think the merge is going to happen, and you think that Lido is not going to get hacked, then you're getting a year worth of interest for free. Like right now, you earn one whole year of APR scot free. It's not like UST where it's not actively collateralized. Every single STETH at time of the merge withdrawals is worth exactly one ETH. Not more, not less. It is exactly one-to-one redemption. It is guaranteed. Again, unless our smart contract gets hacked or ETH blows up or whatever. Um, So for us, of course, we would like it to be one-to-one. It affects some of our, our other conversations in terms of business development. But for us, if you're long ETH, it's it's a deal. It's a discount on, on long ETH. Exactly. So, so for ETH and Lido bulls, it's a pretty lucrative arbitrage opportunity right there. Yeah. And candidly, I'm, I'm, I think we'll have a little bit bigger dip. This is not investment advice, da, 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 but 
I'm I'm personally I'm planning this weekend. I've loaded some some of my cash in because I'm I'm going to buy it if it drops down to like a five or six percent dip on the exchange rate. Because at that point, I'm earning almost a year and a half <laughs> of of rewards. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a couple steps back to the LDO token. Uh, you mentioned its role in certain control mechanisms, and I just a lot of you could summarize LDO token's purpose. It's a it's a governance token. It is used to determine protocol upgrades and on-chain activity. So anytime we're deploying treasury assets, that requires an on-chain vote. That's subject to LDO holders. So a madman attack taking control of LDO could, in theory, pay themselves out of the treasury. Um, again, that's very difficult right now, and it would get very expensive. There are some, they're called super user permissions. They are guarded behind on-chain voting through the DAO. So it's not like one person or our GitHub repo can just go do stuff. It has to be a full formal on-chain vote with a, I think it's now a 96-hour lead time. So it's not like it could just sneak through overnight. Um, and the reason for that explicitly is when Lido was first made at the end of 20, 2020, a lot of details technically about the merge were still being written. No one knew what this would look like. So we needed to allow flexibility in the protocol in a controlled way to adapt if the merge went left instead of going right very abruptly, or they found a bug and we needed to update. Once the merge and withdrawals have happened, and once everyone's like, everything's stable, we have plans to, we call it ossification, to start with removing any of the potential attack vectors. But we haven't done that very candidly because until the merge is done, as everyone in Ethereum knows, the merge isn't done until it's done. And here we are two and a half years later, still waiting for it. And it's it's almost there, but it's not quite. So we will eventually remove some of those um, additional permissions, again, through an on-chain governance vote so that it can kind of, as I said, will ossify and harden the the attack vectors for governance. Soon. The merge is coming soon. <laughs> but, but okay, what, one more on the token. How are you currently utilizing token incentive? So um, our biggest one is, and I'll just speak especially for Ethereum because it's a little bit more unique. The, the biggest thing is with the withdrawals not being available yet, there's, there's a discounted future cash flow on STETH. It's basically, are you long ETH? Is the liquidity premium of like portability today worth the trade-off of smart contract risk and the future time horizon of when the merge will happen? Um, so we use incentives primarily to help hold the exchange rate. Now that we're in such a choppy market, that is less we're not going to be doing that as, as much because when it was more of like just general chop of market, we didn't, we didn't mind kind of smoothing out those bumps for the user experience. But when the whole market is going down, you know, us throwing $50 million at a multi-billion dollar downward pressure is just going to be us throwing money into a garbage can. So now the incentives are more about creating certain behaviors that pull down on loose ST asset liquidity. So getting them into lending protocols where you still have exposure, but it's off the market, putting them into single asset, single, single staked asset vaults. So we're working with like with Tokamak and Ondo. So instead of you providing both STETH and ETH, you would provide just STETH. And so instead of getting your APR diluted from 4% to 2% and then us having to reincent on top, now you can just get that 4% and then we can do marginal extra incentives. So we we basically use incentives as well as the grant programs to kind of coordinate human behavior where 
we think it would be most beneficial both to the end user and also for growth of the the protocol very candidly got it and then then on risk management as you let users posit the lido staked assets to gain extra yield um how are you managing the risks that come with that for our major incentive programs we're working with blue chip battle hardened multi-audited you know who they are curve uniswap balancer like they're they're not nobodies if it's a smaller emerging protocol but it shows promise we we do not take on the the risk analysis that's just too much extra work but we'll do things like let's check your audit and do, first of all do you have an audit can we look at the audit reports that's kind of the the lazy most impactful one and then the other thing is we just start with very small incentives we'll do some trial runs of maybe 5 or 10,000 dollars for a month see what the data is see what the appetite is and then we start growing it as the partnership evolves a great one is idle finance we started very small. They were a very nascent protocol. They do risk tranching, junior and senior type yields. And they've since grown into from like sub 10 million TVL to about 100 million. So we've been kind of growing with them as they've shown. We've grown with confidence in them. Got it. But at the end of the day, we going back to my earlier point, we cannot guarantee that we will save everyone in DeFi from themselves. You know, the typical do your own research, take on the risk you're accepting for a person, your own personality. Like if you over leverage in Lave, uh, over leverage in Ave, we can't stop you from doing that. And we're also not going to save you if you chose to 10x your leverage and you got liquidated. Like it's, it's like going into a casino and betting all on red. Exactly. I, we'll take the money, but we can't stop you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how about user composition? Like who are these users that are currently... Um, on Lido, because in the beginning you touched on the fact that yes, institutional adoption is inevitable, and then you have pretty good coverage in the DGen space, DGen users. Um, what is the split between these two user groups right now, and how do you expect it to develop into the future? I, I would say ninety-five to ninety-nine percent are Web three crypto native DeFi users. So that's either people like myself, where I'm a DGen and I ape into things or it's crypto native VCs or whales, like the, the players you might know and love in the space. Um, some of the CFI custodial platforms, but they represent themselves retail users. They're taking you know advanced strategies on behalf of the aggregated um, end user. So Web3 crypto native is by far and away the majority. We, like I said, we just started this quarter really spearheading against institutions and starting the education conversations there, as well as more crypto curious, I guess, one level out. So those those are probably less than 1%. We're also exploring the NFT space. There's just a huge influx of money and users, and we think there's there's something there for it. And do you have a view into the data of what the split is within these crypto native users between retail and others? We don't buy the specific user, but by their wallet size. I guess we do a lot of on-chain analytics so we can understand how it's split. And our TVL, like looking at it from an AUM perspective, it's it's pretty evenly distributed. It's kind of like an L curve um, down with some users, of course. I think our largest two stakers have staked like 100,000 ETH a piece. I mean, it's just something absurd. Um, and then there's more net users on the longer tail. So like between one and 10 ETH is where most of our users are. And it gets less and less as a per user basis as you get larger. But in terms of the total amount of ETH staked, it's pretty evenly distributed across 
the shrimp or the minnow, the shrimp, the dolphin, and the whale, I think is what we, <laughs> and then the kraken being like the largest. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I think that that's a really interesting one that I've been thinking of that from a user, from a retail user's perspective is Lido's core value prop, the fact that you can stake with less than 32 ETH, or is it making the actual staking easier that I don't have to run a validator here at home if I have over 32 ETH? It's, it's all of those. You can stake as little as 0.1 instead of 32. You don't have to run the infrastructure. Um, even if you do, we're actually looking into solo staking. So even if you want to run your own validator, you may still want a liquid staking asset. So we're looking at setting it up so that solo stakers wouldn't be subject to a protocol fee. They could like join the Lido pool, but if they're running all the hardware themselves of their own, um, assets, we're not going to take a fee on it just so they can provide a, a liquid token because more liquid liquidity around STE still helps our protocol from integrations and, and all of those good things. Final question would be that what's next for Lido? What, what, what are like the core upcoming developments in your roadmap? Um, I mean, it's pretty boring for the next year. All hands on the ETH side is prioritizing the merge. It's kind of a big deal and we really don't want to mess up $8 billion of assets. So like we want to, we kind of want to get that one right. So that's a huge part expanding to L2s, um, which is also difficult because is it going to be Arbitrum? Is it going to be Optimism? Is it going to be ZK, Sync? Is it going to be Starkware? So we're working with all of them. Um, also, the hypothesis, if ETH does become hot lava, too expensive and slow for most people, they're going to go from a centralized exchange or fiat on wrap straight into an L2. So we need to be there. Um, more broadly, I mentioned we're expanding to Cosmos. We're expanding to Near and Avalanche. Um, we're exploring other chains. Those are more in the research phase, so I don't want to give them uh, too much credence. After that, like that covers probably two years. Longer term, we're really starting to explore building Lido into a platform. So can we get other protocols or projects to build on top of our ST assets? Like a lazy one that we've played with is take this to the nth degree. If we're covering 15 L1s and we have a macro representation through synthetic assets of the Web3 economy, could we spin up a crypto native asset backed stablecoin? Not pegged to a dollar, but similar to what Olympus was trying to do, a crypto native stablecoin, which is interesting because you'll lose some of the potential upside of a single uh, ecosystem run. But as Web3 as a whole ebbs and flows, it could give you kind of an ETF or index representative of it. Um, so if anyone's looking to build that, we have a grants program. We just don't have time to get around to that. But we're looking at those types of ideas that leverage our assets to build something. Sticking with the DeFi Legos, going to the next Lego block up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jacob. This was a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, no worries. 